Lockdown Diaries with Jack Kirby Lur, episode 21. Hello everyone, I hope you are all well. I'm recording this on the 26th of April at 5 past 6. It's a beautiful sunny evening and as is my want, I am taking Ludo the dog for a stroll. Um, I hope everything's going well with all of you guys. It's been a bit of a wild and wacky week for me, <laughs> uh, sort of, I don't know, that's exaggerating. Um, obviously, if you listen to the previous thing, I talked about having a bit of a, uh, inverted commas, wobble in the week. Uh, and just to reassure everyone, it's all been fine since then. Um, things a little bit out of whack but I'm okay now um, what else has been going on so yeah been napping a little bit more I had a nap on Wednesday afternoon which I don't normally do uh, because when I have a nap in the daytime it just um, it make it knocks me out for the rest of the day I'll be all groggy and horrible almost feel like I'm hungover nearly so I don't like to do that, but I did that sort of Wednesday evening, really, uh, which was a shame because we'd planned to um, watch the Fleabag play uh, on Amazon Prime or whatever it's on uh, with some friends. And, the, well, I, I woke up shortly before it was sort of we were due to start watching it together, so... I just wasn't really in any shape to set up computers and things, so had to knock that on the head. But that's a shame. But we'll catch up with it sometime. Thursday we did the well, I did the um virtual pub quiz on YouTube again, which was good. And yeah. Um I guess the most exciting thing that's happened over the last couple of days is Matt and my comic book is finally finished. Um, so yeah, I'm recording this Sunday evening. Uh, we've, well, I say it's finished. It is finished, but we've only got the digital version of it because the printers, publishers that we use are based in Europe and obviously that's all a bit locked down at the moment. So it won't be in print until end of May, beginning of June probably, but we'll get there. But yeah, for our Kickstarter backers, we've shared the download link, so that's gone out to them. And then, yeah, depending on when you're listening to this, um, probably will have already shared it virtually, digitally. Um, so yeah, do check that out. Rest assured, if you're following me on Twitter, it's probably the only thing I'll be mentioning and pushing. So uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll be annoying people with that. Uh, soon, but uh, it's been a bit of a labour of love for Matt and I. It's um, well, as I say, I sort of initially wrote it back in January last year. I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't pick it up seriously until sort of the following March. Um, and even then, sort of production was a little bit slow. We didn't really give ourselves any proper deadlines or anything but yeah we, we picked up 
um, sort of in the spring, summertime. But yeah, it has been, uh, well, depending on when you say it started, over a year really of making it. And that's because we've got day jobs and, um, you know, stuff going on in our own lives as well, which means we can't can't just sit and make comics all day, much as that would be lovely. <laughs> That's the dream. One day someone will find one of our books and offer us comic jobs and we can do that. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? But until that happens, uh, we just have to make do with what we've got. So yeah, uh, it has been a bit of a labour of love. Um, I need to credit Matt because, you know, I, <laughs> Both comics are written by people and illustrated by, I say most comics, the general setup is you have a writer and an artist, and on the big Marvel and DC things you'll have other jobs as well, but sort of at our level, um, it's just the two of us, and I do the words, and I do some of the uh, editing and things on the page frames and speech bubbles and whatnot but Matt does all the art and all the colouring and that is such a labour intensive thing it's a lot more impact on his time than it is on mine ultimately and I've been um I don't know when you're living with something for that long uh your sort of enthusiasm for the project ebbs and flows a bit I think sort of when you get started well this is, I don't know this is what my opinion is but starting something creative is always great and enthusiastic and then you sort of get into the hard work of actually doing it and putting it together and it <laughs> and it is just like work really so um yeah now he's been very patient with me when I could have made more progress in quicker time um and he's done a fantastic job and the end product just looks great in my opinion I think he's done fantastic stuff with uh bringing I don't know things I wrote to life on the page looks better and I think that's another good thing about comics is well it's like being in a band or something anything collaborative you can hit your idea and then the other person runs with it and makes it better which Matt has done definitely uh, and he prompted a lot of basic when I started it it was very much just a set of instructions really but he was the one that sort of thought of the narrative around it so yeah, he's done fantastic work. And yeah, hopefully by the time you listen to this, you can check it out. Um, it's on a pay-what-you-want scheme, so just download it for free and if you like it. And if you can afford it, then chuck us a t- some coin in the tip jar. But, you know, just just check it out. It's just been nice <laughs> after a year or so of preparing it to have it out in the world, really. And yeah, and as part of that, I mean, we're trying... Say we to get it finished for sort of Saturday morning because we took part in a virtual Comic Con, which is a pioneering idea by the Little Heroes Comics Charity. They're very good. They sort of uh, have a comic making kit that they share with children in hospitals and things, and uh, encourage young people, young people, children to um, be creative in the comics medium. So nicely tying in with what we're about as well um, but yeah they organized this um, virtual comic con um, whereby 
people, creators, signed up to be part of it. And it's basically just then all your links to all your online shops are just all on the same web page hosted by Little Heroes. And they did some sort of uh, audio chats and I don't know, some sort of uh, uh, people filming themselves doing tutorials and things. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we didn't do any chatting or tutorials, but it's kind of nice just to have uh, have that out there and support what they do. Um, so yeah, and I think it raised some money for charity too, so that's good. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to have the new one ready for that, and Matt pretty much pulled an all-nighter, but it wasn't, so again, he's just sort of flogged himself to death at the altar of a slightly arbitrary deadline. but. It's fit down. I'm not saying we won't do a few little tweaks before it um, goes to print, not least getting the ISBN, ISBN number sorted out. But yeah, really proud of it. So please do look at that. And I'll probably, at some point over the next week, record another little chat with Matt about that. So yeah, you'll hear me banging on about that. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so the only thing I was going to talk about in this was... Uh, on Wednesday afternoon, when I was off work, I finished uh, the book I was reading, which I mentioned quite a while ago now. Um, and yeah, my uh, as I think I've said, my attention span, not just in the lockdown period, but in general, seems to have gone uh, a bit awry over recent months and things. So. Yeah. I sort of sat down and finished just the final third of this book in an afternoon, uh, which I was good to get over and done with. Um, and yeah, so the book is called The Supernova Era uh, by Season Lu. Probably pronouncing that wrong. I probably don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and yeah, I just thought I'd give a bit of a, a review of it, really, because I had sort of it's one of those books that I didn't love, but there was a sort of enough to sort of talk about in it, which is almost as good as a good book. It's an extra thing. If a book's not 100% brilliant, at least it's you've got reason things to talk about for it, I suppose. So I, I, uh, I don't know. At the risk of um, causing you to switch off, I think I'm going to be fairly fulsome about the plot and spoilers and things because because it's not exactly like I'm broadcasting this publicly to turn off um, and to be honest to sort of really get across my opinions and things I think it would be necessary to share some plot details and stuff so to recap um, it's a sort of a, a sort of science fiction book in that uh, it's set in more or less the present I think it's actually written about 10 years ago so Although released in this country relatively recently, um, but yeah, it's set nominally sort of in the present and uh, in a nearby solar system, um, a saga supernova explodes, and the radiation from that uh, hits planet Earth all over, and it causes. Well, at first, they don't realize anything is wrong, but they governments, scientists, soon work out that every person over the age of 13 
will die over the year because it's damaged people's DNA, chromosomes, something like that. Whereas un 13 year olds and under will, um, will, I don't know, self-repair for whatever reason. How scientific or not that is, I don't know. But uh, that's the premise we've got. And to be honest, we don't really need, you know, obviously it's a scenario in which we're playing with uh, a thought experiment almost. So you don't really need that to make that much scientific sense, I think. I think you have your buy-in there, and you go from that. So, um, the book is largely set in China, uh, and we follow three kids uh, from a single class, and they're selected because they're high... Oh, goodness, tripped over Luda. They're selected because they're sort of high aptitude students, um, 13 year olds, and um, they set, the Chinese government sets up um, basically sort of like war game type things. So they all, the, there's uh, lots and lots and lots of kids, and they're all set up into little camps in a valley, and they're sort of told that their territory is, they treat it like a country, they're given resources water, food, guns, shelter, that kind of thing, but they're unequally distributed and they see how the different countries progress, different countries uh, team up and conquer each other and diplo diplomacy and things happen, diplomacy happens. <laughs> and yeah, and at the end of it, the, uh, at the end of the experiment, um, the three kids in the class that we're following are selected for sort of to leave the country once all the adults die. And uh, their specs, Hua Hua, H-U-A, H-U-A, and Zhao Meng, uh, the three protagonists. Specs is sort of the clever one, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, they're, um, uh, they're selected to lead. They're shown around sort of different pillars and workings of government and things and the adults all sort of prepare for their imminent death all basically yeah um, all the kids are sort of more or less shown how to do whatever it is that their parents are doing um, which you know is probably a fairly sensible way of making sure there's people the requisite people to do the requisite things that need to keep a country running. So obviously reading it now, the sort of it's interesting to sort of think about that key worker perspective and uh, you know what are the f essential functions that we need to keep the lights on and the food going. There's a in there's a quite a good sequence in the sort of first section of the book, the opening act, where the free main kids are shown um, a, a really long train loads and loads of carriages and they're all filled with uh, salt and MSG and there's just carriage after carriage after carriage of tons and tons and tons of salt and MSG and they're asked how long they expect this to last and they sort of, I don't know, a month, a year and that's sort of a day and they're sort of asked to visualise that's how much if you can keep that much salt and MSG coming to the populace every day, then that's your basic uh, 
an essential thing for keeping civilization going. So we get to the point where the adults have worked out that they're going to die. And I guess at this point it sort of starts getting a bit, I think, questioning it a little bit. So um, um, the adults all sort of pick very remote locations and caves and deserts and things to all sort of make a final pilgrimage to to die away from the kids which I thought was a bit weird I didn't know that so all the they all sort of go off in coaches and buses and things and the kids are just sort of left there which I wasn't really sure if that's exactly how you would play that scenario uh, and yeah you'll have to forgive me I can't quite remember the detail because it's been a little while since I wrote this beginning anyway and um like the last adult to die in whatever the remote location is has to sort of turn off their little tracking signal thing and the kids are all back at base watching this sort of screen of lights all going out when the last one goes out then that's the last batch of adults that have died which is a nice visual image but is caught somewhere between a nice image and not a very realistic thing to happen i think but anyway once that happens, um, the children realise they are truly in charge and uh, immediately they're sort of in this um, I don't know, high-tech headquarters. They've got like a quantum supercomputer that's helping them as well, which is feels a little bit, I don't know, there's aspects of the book where they have far greater technology than suggested that it might have access to elsewhere. But again, I'm sort of going to give them a buy on that, really. So, the lights all go out. They start receiving phone calls from all over the country, uh, from kids asking for very basic help and things, like, I don't know where the food is, or I don't know how to get a glass of water, or all the lights have gone out, or there's a flood, or there's a fire, and all this stuff. And again, this is sort of where the book was really starting to jar a little bit because, apart from anything else, again, it's an interesting. Uh, I say it's interesting. I don't know. I just why would all the children in China have the government's phone number? And it's not like they're, you know, they're going through to different offices. They were all coming through to the top command center, so millions and millions of phone calls are all coming in, which the ruling children start answering. And they sort of spend hours answering phone calls, which is a tiny fraction of all that's coming in. And then it's just, it just strictly is being a bit unrealistic, really. So, um, um, so they eventually figure out that they can get the supercomputer to answer them all. And then the book sort of says, well, hang on, if we get the supercomputer to do this and start responding to stuff, we're essentially seeding uh, a certain amount of power to the AI and it's at that point you think oh, okay so this, is this what the book's going to be about the sort of uh, you know the computer taking over and sort of taking advantage of children's naivety and that kind of thing um, but not really <laughs> that doesn't really come back so much so yeah the computer basically answers all the questions that the children have incoming and it all out and for a little while things are sort of 
basically fine. The kids go to work and things, and they're working incredibly long days because they have to work and then study uh, in the evenings as well. So um, yeah, for a period of time, it's all uh, quite hard work and stuff. But then, uh, yeah, shortly after, the they start sort of well, fobbing off work really. So they start um, raiding the sweet shops and the toy shops and things, and they call it the Candy Town period, where they just essentially go a bit hog wild. Things are generally still sort of running okay. It never really it sort of says everyone is going hog wild, but also things are going okay. So it seems a bit. I'm, I'm not really sure how they strike that balance but um the other thing is they're all sort of logging on in the evenings in their playtime as well to the uh sort of virtual world and again this felt like a big technological leap um for something we don't really quite have an equivalent of as it's described in the book um but yeah basically every child over the age of 10 or something is is logging on to some sort of virtual reality where they can the supercomputer again is able to sort of quantify all their general responses and things and turn it into one voice or one main voice which the leaders the children in charge then sort of talk to and find out what the kids want to do and again you sort of think well is this where the book's going are we all going into some sort of matrix type thing where we're all living our life online um and no, that's not really the direction we're going in. Um, the, the kids have, on the internet have basically just designed some fabulous world sort of roller coasters and zoos and parks that they say that's their five-year plan they want to enact. And again, it's sort of like, okay, oh, well, is that what we're doing? And it's not. <laughs> it's just a bit weird. Sort of around this point, we shift focus to the United States. And... Um, which is fine. I was quite glad it sort of broadened the view and the scope of things to uh, to another country. I kind of would have been more interested and more in expectant that sort of the adults would have sort of designed an international response rather than only at this point going to see what's happening elsewhere. Uh, and yeah, we, we go to the United States and we meet the president there, who's another 13-year-old kid, and his um, chief of staff or secretary or whatever it is, secretary of state, whatever, who is some weird sort of strange prodigy child who knows everything and speaks 1800 languages and this, that and the other. And they're a bit weird. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and they sort of realise, I don't know, uh, they're trying to ensure American dominance maintains and uh the thing about that is americans have guns guns are the main thing about america this I, I, this is what i think was implied that i should be taken away from it um and there's sort of a, a little bit of a, a pause and the uh, the americans all uh the american government reaches out to all the other governments and there's a big sort of meeting in um in the states uh where all the heads of the states come uh, to decide what to do with the new world order. And there's this long sequence in which basically kids are acting really bratty in the White House and making fools of each other and stuff, which is mm, just tonally a bit weird. 
and the Chinese delegates, the, the free Chinese kids that we've been following, they arrive in New York and uh, all the kids in the city are basically, uh, they've all got guns and grenades and all the rest of it and it's just a war zone basically. They're playing, but they're playing at fighting. <laughs> and which I just didn't quite buy that either. Like there's this whole sort of thing where you know, they, they sort of children don't value life in the same way that adults do because they haven't lived enough of it, kind of thing. And it talks about how you know kids can be cruel to ants and whatever in the in your back garden and things like that. Which I sort of recognise to a point, but I I do seriously doubt that would extrapolate into kids playing at warfare. And it's sort of not the way they um, frame it in the story is that. Um, you know, they're quite happy to shoot at each other and be in teams, but it's like, oh, uh, hang on, this cavalcade of cars is going through. We need to have a little ceasefire. It's like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. It sounds like no malice in the fights that they're having. Which is interesting, but again, just didn't really sit right to me. So, yeah, the, the, the Chinese, they sort of encountered the, well, the UN, which is basically ignored and mostly blown up. And they get to this meeting where the president basically says, look, to keep our kids happy, we need to start using our big toys, our tanks and our, our aircraft carriers and things like that. And we want to play our games on an international scale. And all the other leaders are like, no, we're not, we're not playing at war with you guys. And then they, there's a sort of a fairly okay sequence, I guess, in which um, they basically are tricked into doing it because they think, oh, well, we're going to play it in Antarctica because temperatures have dropped and Antarctica is vaguely habitable. And suddenly, because sea levels are rising, it's important to establish some sort of footing on this newly accessible landmass. So that, yeah, we'll play the, they call it the Olympic Games, basically. Um, in Antarctica, and because we watched a piece of it, everyone sends the big army to Antarctica. There follows quite a long and quite tedious, in my opinion, sequence in which it describes various different games that all the kids are going to be playing in Antarctica. So, sort of tanks versus tanks battles, and infantry versus tanks, and infantry versus infantry, and planes versus tanks, and sea warfare, and all the rest of this. And it just goes on and on and on through this stuff. There's, I don't know, it sort of then becomes a bit of a war, sort of war story. And it just, again, didn't really ring true. Like, none of it, I just didn't believe that that would happen, to be honest. Sort of a bit, I don't know, kind of Hunger Games-y kind of thing. Like, I didn't think, uh, I just fundamentally couldn't get past the point where children would just decide to start killing each other. That's what it is. It doesn't really describe it in that sense, I guess deliberately, because that's not how the children are thinking, but um, yes, it sort of, they, they talk about it very sort of coldly and pragmatically, and it's only when you sort of get a, a sequence from the perspective of one individual kid who ends up going into surviving several battles and then but just seeing more and more horror and stuff <laughs> that you sort of get that perspective. And I just, I don't know, didn't didn't seem right. Uh, prior to the adults all dying, they uh, all shot their nuclear weapons into the sun. 
another kid to have access to nukes. Except, oh wait, they do. <laughs> so the Americans have a nuclear bomb and they forage joke, essentially. Um, blow up the Chinese base in Antarctica, which the leaders have moved out of for some reason or other. And then, <laughs> I mean, it's not completely a deus ex machina because they, they have this sort of five-person observation group which is established earlier in the narrative um, but so when that happens they kind of spring into action and produce a letter which reveals that actually the Chinese have got a, a nuclear weapon as well a nuclear warhead on a rocket in a silo that's been built in the Chinese countryside which is a nice little sequence about that and builds into that with a sort of a flashback which is fine but again it just felt like oh well, remember when we told you we didn't have nuclear bombs? Turns out, we do! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was fine. And then the Chinese retaliate against the Americans, and that kind of puts a stop to the war. But this is, this is the majority of the final third of the book. <laughs> and then it just gets a bit weirder still. So, uh, there's a, a smallish sequence about how horrible and how it is for or the kids to evacuate Antarctica because it starts to get cold again. So the fact that it, the temperature dropped was just sort of a temporary thing so they could have this sequence there, it seems to me. Um, but then, um, yeah, so they, then it's all very difficult and hard and people die getting out of Antarctica. And the American president, who is just a complete jerk, uh, we've established at this point, has been um, impeached whilst all these war games have been going on and his one of his members of staff um, has become the new president um, and she inherits the weird secretary of state guy who's the brains behind everything um, and they sort of decide what's the new game essentially to play and it kind of poses a sort of a the difference between adults and kids is that kids need to play games that's sort of part of their nature on a fundamental level so they have to decide what the new game is and they sort of draw this parallel to sort of uh, ideology was this game in the cold war and economics was the game following that and and uh, it sort of gets away with that analogy kind of a bit it goes into more depth than i'm able to recall just now but basically what happens at the end is the American, new American president comes over to China to meet with the, the leaders there. And what they've proposed is the new thing that they will all do is China and America will swap populations. So all the Chinese people will move out and live in America and all the American kids will do the same. And that's, that's it. <laughs> there's, not really, there's not really any true explanation that I could sense that was given for why this is what has been decided that they're going to do. It's sort of an experiment, it's sort of a game, it's kind of, I mean they sort of did this hand wavy thing whereas part of the American psyche is that they need new frontiers to explore and I mean at that point I thought it was going to go off in space, it didn't, well, yeah anyway. And, uh, but yeah, so it goes into detail about how all these kids are getting boats to go to America and vice versa. And it's just 
Oh, I didn't really see <laughs> I mean, I could just be thick, but I didn't really see what it was going for here. Um, other than just sort of a novel thing to do. Maybe that's all it was, maybe that's all the kids respond to. And yeah, so it's weird. There's a little epilogue type thing where uh, the uh, it goes sort of meta and it turns out to be a sort of historical account of a character who is now living on Mars or something. And so I guess, I don't know, maybe that has this whole move thing, which all the other countries start copying as well, has inspired new leaps forward in technology and exploration perhaps, but that's inferred at best. So that's kind of where it stopped and uh, yeah, I was quite baffled by it really, I think with my overwhelming emotion. Um, as I sort of said during this review here, it's um, it keeps trying to sort of be a different thing. You think it's going to go in one direction. You think it's going to go in one direction. It sort of abandons one thematic idea, and then it picks up another, but then abandons that quite quickly as well. It's quite episodic. Um, the characters. Now I don't know. Um, I feel like you could have either a very, if you've got a very strong plot that can make up for quite weak characters or if you've got very strong characters that can kind of make up for a weak plot and I'm not sure it had much of either like I really liked the initial setup what really piqued my curiosity was like oh yeah it'd be really interesting to imagine a society where kids have suddenly had everything thrust into their hands and they have to run the show <clears throat> but yeah it then didn't go in any direction that I recognised as being particularly realistic after that really like that setup, but beyond the first setup it went a bit odd. And none of the characters are especially fleshed out. I mean, I guess the person that's got the, the most characterization is probably the American president, the first one, Beardy. But I mean, he's characterised as uh, an idiot, um, an unpleasant chap. So, yeah, it's... Um, it didn't really succeed on either of those points for me, I would suggest, character or plot beyond the initial setup. Just, I didn't recognize, I felt the characterization in, you know, broadly speaking, of children. There were times when everyone acted way too young for how they were described, and times when they acted way too mature, I felt, and it never, I mean, Expert on, expert on kids by any means, but like again, I just didn't recognise him as being that old or little. And I think, I think he kind of cheated a little bit in the sense that basically every character that we were following were the 13 year olds, and it does touch on sort of childcare and stuff, but it does largely ignore the fact that. You know, the vast majority of the remaining population would be incredibly young and need childcare. It doesn't really say what the one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds are all doing or being looked after. 
fuck, this ridiculous sort of war games thing is going on in the Antarctic. So, I, I, as I say, it's sort of sci-fi in that the setup requires a bit of a sci-fi stuff, but really it's sort of sociological after that point, I guess. But it didn't, it didn't explore the sort of fundamentals of how society is working. And again, it sort of keeps saying, well, well, keeps saying, it occasionally says there were enough sort of kids that weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, making sure that things are generally doing okay, but yeah, it didn't really quite ring true. <laughs> so I spoke to, uh, actually, so I twittered with my friend Alex, um, who'd also read one of Susan Liu's books as well, a different one, and he kind of had the same feedback as I did, like the setup was really cool, but the characterization and some of the story choices that were made after that point were just sort of baffling and didn't make sense. Uh, which is a shame because I've read the synopses of a couple of his other books and they do sound really good. <laughs> um, so I guess there was enough in you know, there was interesting choices made for me that I wouldn't rule out reading those books. I do feel quite tentative, I suppose. So, yeah. That's my. <laughs> I realise it sounds like I've been very negative and happy about that book, which I don't know, maybe that's the part of the end. I would quite be interested to read another one. Um, so I've done that before. <laughs> so, well, here's a well regarded author. I didn't really like that book I read, but I will read another, and then I didn't like that again. But, I don't know. I'm willing to give give it another chance. Him another chance, I suppose. I mean, quite possible that you know, the problems I had with the cultural, maybe this book I read, read by a Chinese author, I think. Um, so perhaps some things are just lost in translation. But um, yeah. I don't know. If you've read the book or anything else by him, do let me know. You can at me at Jack Kirby and we can chat about it. But yeah, it's kind of all I'm gonna chat about today, I think. So yeah, thanks for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye bye.